0: And welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. algman Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, I'm joined once again by my friend, Bob Seiner. Bob is the founder of KIK Consulting and the originator and global authority on non-invasive data governance. And he is back for the record third time to talk with me about the world of data leadership, data management, data governance, and being non-invasive in at least the data governance part. And that's where we're going to start today. So Bob, welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. And let's just jump in. So we haven't actually spoken too much on the show about what non-invasive data governance is and what separates it from the generic non non-invasive data governance out there?
1: <laughs> the non non-invasive. <laughs> well, you know, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a quick story because this is a podcast, and you know, that's what we do, and uh, and it, like kind of compare and contrast several different approaches to data governance, just to kind of give you an idea as to how it's different. So the story is. When I speak at a lot of the conferences that I speak at, I have been known, at least time from, from time to time, to, at the beginning of my session, ask people in the audience, the participants, you know, by show of hands, how many of your organizations are governing your data? And, you know, it's usually a data governance conference, so you're going to get a fairly decent number of people raise their hands, but nobody's, like, emphatically waving their hands, saying, oh, yeah, we govern data, um, But there's several people that, you know, they're new to this and they're not feeling like they govern data. say, okay, I want to ask that question again and I want everybody to raise their hand. I say, how many of your organizations are governing data? And people roll their eyes at me and like throw their head back and everybody raises their hand like, okay, you told us to raise our hand. And I say, because the reason is that you are governing data. Mm -hmm. Your organization wouldn't be in the situation that they are you know and I look at it from a positive perspective. your organization hasn't been wouldn't have been around as long if there was absolutely no governance taking place. It's just very informal it's very and because it's informal, it leads to inefficiency, it leads to ineffectiveness um, and so that's the story I wanted to share with you is everybody is governing their data other or some organizations are governing it better than other organizations, but it is uh, they're doing it very informally, and in that if we can formalize the existing levels of governance within the organization, it's gonna be a lot, a lot less invasive, a lot less threatening to the organization. So that's kind of the first idea is you're already governing your data, but you're not doing it very well or you're not doing it very formally. Um, I always uh, talk about three approaches to data governance. And these are really the approaches. They're not necessarily the, the methods that you're going to use to implement governance. But um, the first one is the command and control approach. And it's like rule with the iron fist. Thou shalt govern your data. Um, And it doesn't matter how busy you are. doesn't matter what else you have going on. You're now a data steward. So act like a data steward. It's the command and control approach. And the second approach, and, and that's not as accepted by organizations because they've got an existing culture and they don't want the, the governance to interfere with the culture. We, we know it is going to anyway at some point in time, but let's not force it down people's throats that way. Right. The second approach is the traditional approach, and I liken it to the movie Field of Dreams, which is, you know, if you build it, they will come. Okay, so we're going to build a governance structure. We're going to define a governance council. We're going to define what stewards do and processes and things like that and hope that people in the organization gravitate towards that. So there's the, that you shall govern your data, the the most invasive command and control. You should govern your data, which is more like the traditional approach. In the non-invasive approach, the idea is you already govern your data. You're just not doing it very formally. You're not doing it very well. <clears throat> so we can, if we can focus on getting people to recognize what role they play with the data and help them to better participate in that role without handing them a new title, handing them more responsibility. Um, you know, it's just going to be more accepted to the organizations. And that's why I wrote the book. No, I'm not, I don't have the book, Candy, but I should have it always next to me, right? That's why I think non-invasive data governance just seems to make sense to organizations that don't want to rule with an iron fist and want people to be more willing to adapt and to adopt the the culture of governing their data. So you're already doing it. You know, you're already using data that's sensitive. We're going to help you to really understand the rules associated with how you can handle that information. You know, you're defining data. You, we're going to help you to define it better so the organization can get, can get better value. Oh, were you expecting to talk during this podcast? Or yeah, is no, it just... I
0: just, I just it, this is like our phone conversations, actually. <laughs> so, no, it, it actually, um, you know, I enjoy when you bring up that that data governance um is everywhere, whether you're doing it actively or not. And I actually bring that up in a lot of my talks and I always give you credit for that because I think it's an important, um, you know, it's an important thing for people to understand as they're getting oriented towards what data governance is about. The other thing, which you haven't talked about yet, um, is your definition of data governance. And we've done some joint talks and stuff, so I know what that is, but please introduce what that is. But how do you reconcile something that has a clear connection with authority to a non-invasive approach like you were just talking about?
1: So just in case people don't know, my definition of data governance is that data governance is the execution and enforcement of authority over the management of data and data-related assets like metadata, people, process, those types of things. Mm-hmm. And so when I say it's the execution and enforcement of authority, the first response I get, honestly, is that people cringe. They think, oh my God, that sounds so uh, so strict. Yeah, it sounds like um, the first
0: it's, option, right? It, it sounds well, no, like but the
1: truth is, no matter what option you take, right? The, at the end of the day, if you don't execute and enforce authority over the management of data, what is your data governance program doing for your organization? Right. So right. the fact is that you need to be able to, and so you may say formalize accountability which is actually my definition of data stewardship is formalizing accountability you can say formalize behavior associated with data that's fine you don't have to use the words execute and enforce authority over the management of data but that's the end game that's the that's how we're defining what data governance is non-invasive describes the approach so the way we're going to execute and enforce authority is to help people recognize themselves as being stewards, as being, and I hate this term, but data owners, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are subject matter experts of the data, help them to play the role that they're already playing within your organization. We always go to Anthony when we have a question about data leadership. That's just a perfect example, Mm -hmm. I thought, of Mm -hmm. kind of a subject matter expert within your organization. So I don't think that they're at opposite ends of the spectrum at all. The goal is to execute and enforce authority over the management of data. Question is, how are we going to go about that? And you can take that command and control. You can take that. Well, we hope you'll follow what we say, or you can say, you know what, you're already doing it, and we're going to help you to do it better. I think that's
0: fair. I mean, it is data governance, after all. It's not data campfire songs, so and it's not data, you know, you know walking down the street in harmony type of thing. It, there's there's actual work to be done here, and you can do it in a way that is building towards something that is relatively collaborative as well. It's relatively in alignment with already well-defined business processes and functions inside your organization. I, you know, I'm paraphrasing it based on my own understanding, but I think that's what non-invasive data governance really is about is to say, okay, how do we connect something that we should probably be doing a little bit more deliberately to something we're already doing deliberately and make the data better as part of that, process versus how do we say okay everybody it's time for data governance cancel the rest of the day because we got to define some stuff right
1: well I, I i speak a lot i speak a lot all the time but i speak a lot about in my my presentations about data governance i speak about a data governance bill of rights hmm. and it's not the rights of the people to be able to do this and that it's the bill of rights, in quote. And the reason why I say that is getting the right people involved at the right time for the right reason, using the right data leads to the right decision, at least most of the time. <laughs> Maybe not all the time, but it leads to a more formal way of doing things. So, you know, it, it is... Um, you know, we need, people think of the term governance, they think of government, they think of authority, they think of, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do that. That's why I like to preface it with non-invasive data governance, because people will sit forward in their chair, scratch their heads and say, you know, what the heck does that mean? Right? You know, I mean, well, how can we be, how can we do data governance in a non-invasive way? And people have questioned that. But to be honest with you, there's a lot of organizations that have told me after working through this approach, this is the only way that that could work within our organization is to look at what we're doing well already, look for opportunity to improve and focus on that. So the data governance bill of rights, bill of rights is, is really, you know, that's what we're trying to do is get the right people involved at the right time for the right reason, doing the right thing. You know, however you want to have, how many times you want to have the word rights in your statement. Um, But that's really, you know, at the end of the day, I said that we, you know, we need to execute and enforce authority. But, you know, we can do that by formalizing the way that we do things and putting quality standards around them and things like that. So, um, yeah, it sounds like governance has to be big and scary and people close their doors, pull down their blinds, don't want to talk. Oh, here come the governance police. Mm -hmm. It's not that way. You know what? If they think that it's that way, then they should know about the fact that there's an alternative approach to data governance. You
0: know, I, I wonder though, would people, because, because when you talk about non-invasive data governance, I eat it up. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. I like this a lot. It connects with these things and deliberate and non-deliberate and connect to business process and all that. That's fine. But I would anybody in the data governance kind of, community as a whole disagree with what you're saying like are people really out there saying we got to be more invasive we've got to you know just you know do the opposite of what bob is saying or do something different than what you're saying they're doing it
1: and they're doing it every day they're assigning people to be data stewards Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and i say that's the wrong thing to do i say we need to recognize people as data stewards And there is a big difference there because when they're assigning people something immediately, it feels like it's over and above what they're presently doing. Hmm. I'm busy 150% of the time. You're now going to assign me to be a data steward. When the heck am I supposed to find time? I'm going to have to drop something, you know? So it's different. It's even in the language that we use, you you talked about process. Okay. Instead of redefining or defining new process, which we do all the time anyway, let 's apply governance to the process again it 's a different it 's a difference in the semantics that we use, and it 's really a difference in the approach that we take mm-hmm. and So yes, there are some people i won 't mention any of the companies that really feel that they need to uh, take a more invasive approach. I've actually been told, and I I was presenting on a boat in Stockholm, Sweden, and somebody said, oh, so the non-invasive approach is the do-nothing approach. I said, no, that's not the case. It's a do-everything approach. With everybody, if you want to have entire coverage, if you want to have entire coverage, I have to look at the camera every once in a while. Um, if, If you want to have entire coverage of your organization, I mean, I say... Well, in in the command and control approach, or the approach that people say, you know, Mike and Mary and Sue, they're data stewards, okay? In my approach, everybody who has a relationship to the data that's being held accountable for that relationship to the data is a data steward. It's not something that you can opt in or opt out of. It's not something we need to ask you if you want to be a data steward. Basically, by what you do, if you use sensitive data, you have to protect it. You're a data steward. We don't have to call you a data steward. We don't have to assign you the role of data steward. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yes, there's a lot of organizations that might not disagree on the surface with what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. but their actions that they're taking are completely contrary. And when people say, well, if everybody's a data steward, nobody's a data steward. I'm sorry, but I call BS on that because not just my initials BS, but you know, I call BS Unfortunate on it. Because, initials, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it is. I was going to call myself BS Consulting, but I figured that wasn't going to be a good idea. Probably. Um, yeah. But you know what? So the only way to entire cover your entire organization is if you consider that everybody is a data steward. And I say I've written articles. Everybody is a data steward. Get over it. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it changes the approach. Yes, it changes the complexity of the program to your organization. But if the goal at the end of the day is to execute and enforce authority over the management of data, we're not going to say, okay, this side of the room, you need to protect that sensitive data that you're using. But this side of the room, you're using that same sensitive data, eh, just go to town, do whatever you want with it. Right. So you know, everybody is a data steward. And that's uh, that's less invasive than it sounds. You know, there,
0: to drill a little deeper, because one thing that you said at first, I wanted to push back on, but then I, I came up with another counter argument. So I'm going to give you them both. The first okay. thing was, is that I get like people want to assign data stewards and add something new to the mix. And it's not to say because you, you I think you covered this later in your answer. And that is what we're doing is not saying you need to do something wholly new, but you're already being a data steward in some aspects, just not in a well coordinated way, perhaps but we're not adding a huge amount of new work now the the pushback would be well you're still adding something you're still you're still saying there's something additional and i don't think you're arguing that i think
1: or or are we taking a, or are we making it easier for them so let's use the example of somebody who has the responsibility of defining the data that's going into a new analytical platform mm-hmm. you know should they need to define that data again Or is their first step to look to see where that data exists in the organization? Is there already definition for that data? So are we making their life easier or are we adding to what they're doing? You know, if you're using sensitive data, I keep going back to that as an example. The only way that you're going to be able to use sensitive data appropriately is if you know the rules associated with it. So Mm -hmm. since we know you use this data that needs to be protected, we're going to tell you how you can print that data, how you can transmit it, how you can need to encrypt it, those types of things. If you're producing the data, instead of making your life more difficult, we want you to understand how the data that you're producing is going to be used in the organization. And that way, you won't skip over birth date because you don't think that it needs to be used anywhere. But that's critical because we have a marketing program that caters to people's birth date so we've got you know the majority of our customers have birth dates of 010101 because that was the default <laughs> you know it, it, it's not adding to what they're doing oh, you know yes there's going to be times where it feels like it's more if there's a more formal method for defining the data if you need to pull from a drop box or a, a pick list to pick the data that you're inserting into a field or it doesn't let you take the default mm-hmm. yes we're asking you to do more things but you know what that's we should have been asking you to do those things all along rather than waiting until now to do it so. well
0: but there's still an element of assignment there's some work still to be done in non-invasive data governance you're not you're not saying that data is just going to magically all work because we want to be collaborative about it it's there's work involved and so and i'll even agree at the macro level things even out and maybe get easier in the long run because things get more efficient. But I want to come back to that in a second. But the other thing, and I'll give you credit for this. The other thing that um, you were speaking about when it came to the, um, the, the notion of data governance and and assigning data stewards and and the the kind of traditional way of data governance is that with non-invasive data governance, you're not also doing data governance. You're, You're not, tangentially adding data governance to some other established business process you're interweaving it I talk a lot about like um, you know bringing it into the fabric of the organization it's not an add-on but it becomes part of it I think your non-invasive data governance hits that button very very well but I want to get back to this notion of well it gets easier at times because I think there's a critical problem and I want to get your take on this I think there's a critical problem with data governance failing data governance fails a lot and 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 it's not sustainable a lot of the time and part of my theory on why it's not sustainable is that a we do a bad job of understanding where the value gets created from data governance we have a bad we do a bad job of of recognizing where value actually happens because of the work we've done in data governance. So we just lose sight. And I think that there is a lot of times very good value being created. I just think it's abstracted. It's far removed from the actual business outcomes. It's hard to measure, a bunch of reasons, but it's it's hard to see that value sometimes. The other part of it is that it is really difficult to create a balance between the effort and the folks that are putting in a lot of the effort. And a lot of what we do with data governance is, hey, data steward, you got to do more for benefit of some other person in the later end of the chain or this magical oh if we create this yeah. metadata repository but nobody ever uses it what have we actually uh, done
1: no 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 so yes there there are organizations that take data stewards and say we got to create a data dictionary we got to create a business glossary we got to populate a data catalog a metadata repository to improve the understanding of the data okay so the goal isn't to define a business glossary, data dictionary, data catalog, a metadata repository, the goal is to improve the understanding of the data. Sure. Just like when you're building an analytical platform or you're integrating data sources, the goal is to integrate the data sources. You're gonna do that anyway. You can either have formal method for doing that or not do it at all. But you know, if you are going to do it and you're gonna do it informally then, and this kind of leads to, well, where's the value? It comes from data governance. It's it, it's very difficult to articulate that we saved X number of dollars because we put data governance in place. Sure. Um, or, or, you know, I guess there are ways to be able to do that. Or, you know, actually what I suggest is that organizations look for value other places, meaning that, you know, if we have now created a data warehouse or a business intelligence environment or an analytical platform Let's evaluate the value that we're getting out of that platform, out of that work effort, not out of what data governance. Uh, what data, data governance is not going to make you money. It's not going to save you money. It's going to formalize. how it's going exe- to execute and enforce authority over the work that you're doing with the data. That's going to. That's really where the heavy investments are. So but, you've got a but, heavy inve- but So, so I'm saying that those things are are very closely related in the fact that the value comes from the from what we are trying to achieve, and that we're using governance to get there. Yeah, that, data that's governance really is an
0: amplifier. There's value in being an amplifier. There's value in creating efficiencies. But that's value. There's real value in that. And so, data governance has to create value to be worthwhile. And what I'm saying is is that sometimes by coordinating data governance and focusing on the input side, if we say, hey, data stewards, you're going to go and do this thing and you're going to start cataloging this information, there's a hard cost to that in people's time in the system investment and whatever it takes to make that happen. The downside is is that 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 cost is usually a lot easier to measure than the reciprocal value that those activities create. And so those activities are amplifying other activities and doing other business processes, helping make things work or whatever. At some point down the road, hopefully they become valuable enough to justify the investment. The problem is, is that there's a lack of transparency of that piece of it compared to the much more visible, even at an individual level, individual cost of my time. If I'm going to spend the next hour working on this thing, somebody told me I needed to do that I don't see how I will ever directly benefit from. We have a a problem with incentivization and motivation of even the individual. Maybe it's not
1: all about them. Maybe it's about the value that the organization gets to.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't motivate Jim over in accounting to do that work. I need to actually create something that people will actually do. Otherwise, it's just theoretical. So then the question is, is, how do you motivate the individual to contribute to the greater good especially in a non-invasive data governance model where we've said, hey, this is already part of what you're supposed to do. Do you advocate including their data governance activities as part of their formal evaluation process? Is that part of it?
1: Sure, sure, without a doubt. I say that was exactly where I was going to go with the answer was that it's not all about them. Mm -hmm. You know, it may be... You know about it may be you know it may be partially about them or or a lot about them, depending on the how you know how uh, engaged they are in the use of that data to help them to do their job but yes, we're evaluating people incorrectly I mean we used to evaluate key punch people by the amount of data they would enter, not the quality of the data that they would enter, yeah. That might be still going on. I remember back in the old corporate days when I was in the corporate world, not the corporate days, but corporate days for me, you go into a room and there's key punchers there, and they're being evaluated on how quickly they enter the data. Well, that's not good. You know, you don't want to be evaluated on how much data you're defining. If you're a data modeler or a data architect, you want to, you want to focus on the value that they're adding to the organization. And if they're not If they say, well, there's nothing in it for me, and I'm being evaluated based on how much of this other work I get done, yeah, you're going to have a very difficult time convincing them. Mm -hmm. If their management understands that the reason that they're doing this is for the betterment of the organization, and they can be evaluated on their participation in that and the value that comes from the outcome of that work, that's a that's a lot different, right? And, and you're right. There is a lot of problems with that in organizations that you know people don't want to adapt and adopt what's going on with data governance because they don't understand how what's in it for them. You know, this Joe and Mary who are involved in. You know, putting together the data dictionary for this specific data asset within the organization saying, well, you know, I know what the data is. I use the data. You know, I know how to use the data. Um, Why do I have to actually sit in meetings where we come to an agreement on what a customer is? I know that's going to I'm starting like way up top, but because when your management asks, how many customers do we have? Or let's pick something a little bit more detailed, like the lifetime value of a customer. And we have five different ways of being able to define that depending on who you ask. And when the executives want to know, well, what's the lifetime value of ABC company to what we do? And they get five different answers. That pisses them off. They don't like that at all. And they say, why am I getting different answers depending on who I ask? Well, they might even be going to the same data resource, but they might not have the same understanding of the data in that resource, or they might be going to vastly different data resources that define it differently. And so is there a value in that? I was meeting with a client today that we're talking about, how are we going to get the sales and marketing people to get involved in this when they're not data people and they don't see the value? But if they can close more deals, more quickly because they know, you know, what roles the different contacts are playing within that organization. Um, that's going to mean a lot to them because they are being evaluated on how well they sell. And if you can relate improving the consistency of a use of piece of information to that, mm-hmm. that's bringing value to them. That's bringing value to the organization. It's it's a lot of it is in the messaging that we are using.
0: Yeah. Well, and, yeah.
1: I just you mentioned the sales and
0: marketing folks, and that is something that I talk about a lot because sales and marketing folks are actually hiding in plain sight as being fantastic data people because salespeople forever have been highly quantified in their performance and incentivizations and, and all of that. And the marketing people have an innate Ability to work with ambiguous data. So they have the sense of what data quality is all about above and beyond many others inside an organization. I am always like, okay, everybody, whenever we're starting a data governance organization, I'm like, okay, who here knows people in marketing? Because there's going to be somebody there who can help this because they understand data in a, in a way that a lot of folks inside an organization aren't as, as privy Not only do
1: they understand data, but they understand marketing too. Yeah. And we need to market data governance. And that's why I suggest to a lot of organizations I I at least ask the question of my clients, is there somebody from marketing who we can put on our planning team for data governance, Mm -hmm. you know, who can help us to say, you know, what is the message that resonates with our executives? What's the message that resonates with our VPs, you know, of our, of the lay people, or I shouldn't call them that, but everybody within the organization that is defining, producing, and using data as their job. What's going to resonate with them? So, yeah, they know the data. They, they, they certainly they're data focused because that's how marketing people have to be data focused in order to understand their markets and you know what resonates with their markets. But they're also adding value to the data governance initiative. In you know if we. If we try to communicate with people without leveraging those communication people, it's like we're trying to work with a hand tied behind our back. Yeah. Why not leverage the people in the organization that are good at this stuff to get involved and to help us? Because you know we all understand that the data governance has to be marketed to the organization. You may not call it that but it has to be marketed. You need to orient people. You need to socialize the ideas of data governance, the approach that you're taking. So.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one, one other thing um, when we're talking about, you know, ways to motivate the data governance organization is, you know, we talked a bit about the, that challenge sometimes of incentivization of of the individual. One thing that I try to do, because we don't like, justifying the value of data governance is a difficult exercise. We get that. We've talked about that. Fine. But one thing I do try to get like somebody here, somebody in this organization, if I'm going to be in there helping to build data governance or or craft a better data governance strategy in whatever capacity that is, somebody here cares about the outcomes from this and they can see at least some potential value of what data governance is doing to drive something. It could be compliance, it could be strategy, it could be you know operational efficiency, you name it. Whoever is going to stand to benefit the most clear way I want to get involved in the data governance effort itself. Like, even if they're not the best person, the quote unquote best person for a particular activity, get them, at, pick them a shovel. Let's go. Like, let's find a way to get them involved because they already have the incentive to participate. They just may not know what to do. We can find something for them to do, though that to me wow. is is the key is is to find enough of those people who can then help connect those people who don't see that line of sight as easily because they're all in the they're in the trenches together so now you start to hear okay this is why it's going to be helpful and now all of a sudden people can get um, access to people that they may not otherwise have or may you know, at least have a better vision of what their work is contributing i think a lot of the time if people could just see that better That would go a long way to getting data governance some momentum because people aren't purely selfish. Like we're all somewhat selfish, but at work, you're getting paid to do stuff you don't want to do all day long. (laughs) The flavors of what you don't want to do are a little bit fungible. You can adjust. And so if you say, hey, this is actually going to help somebody, I might be more inclined to do that. That might be enough to get the participation you actually need.
1: Well, and you're going to govern your data when you implement an ERP system, when you consolidate your CRM systems, when you build a data lake, you're going to govern your data. The question is, how formally do you want to do it? Yeah. And yeah. I actually disagree with one thing that you said, and it, it, it is that how difficult it might be an outsider when it comes to this, but I'm an outsider when it comes to a uh, lot. Sure. You know, I, I want to take the non-invasive approach. Um, I actually think it's not that difficult to convince people of the value of data governance. I uh, hate to do this, but I'll do it anyway. I'm plugging my most recent TDAN uh, the data administration newsletter article, which is called how to convince stakeholders that data governance is necessary. And so ask them, what can't you do because you don't have the confidence in the data or you don't um, have the data that you need to be able to do it? So that's the first question is Mm -hmm. what can't you do that you'd like to be able to do because you don't have the data or the confidence in the data to do it? The second one is what would you do? What innovative things could you as an organization do if you had data to be able to support it? And if you can get stakeholders to articulate what they can't do what they're spending gobs of time on and still can't do or what they would like to be able to do in a utopian sense. And that's kind of crazy, but Mm -hmm. if you could get them to articulate that it's not going to happen by itself. It has to be done. And so uh, in that article, I just mentioned there's the three questions, what can't you do? What Mm -hmm. would you do? And the third question is how the heck does that relate to data governance? And so people want to take a look at that at tdan.com and, and just, you know, do a, a search to to find things that I've written. And that's, you know, it's very practical. So I don't, I think, again, it, a lot of it has to do with the method that we're going about trying to get people to understand the value of data governance, because, you know, it, it, it's a battle. I'm not going to say that it's, it's easy, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that, you know, a lot of it, uh, of our ability to do that depends on the approach that we take to doing it.
0: Well, you know, I'll agree with you to a point, And the point is for the short term. I think you can definitely get agreement logically on all of that. But when it's coming out of their budget every month, month after month, for months and years, What's at some out of point.
1: Budget? What's coming out of their budget? The effort of their people governs- contributing
0: to data governance? The effort towards no, the budget towards were, the tools that are supporting going data to governance? If you
1: integrate CRM packages, you're going to need to involve people in doing it. And you're going to go to the most appropriate people in the organization to come together as a working team to do it. So you're going to do it anyway if you're doing that. Why don't we do it in a way that's going to actually add value at the end of the day? So, no, they're already involved 20% of their time. Let's just throw out that number. 20% of their time is working on the CRM consolidation initiative. We don't need to add another 20% of their time. We're helping them to do it more effectively. So,
0: And that is why data know. governance is always successful.
1: Data governance fails all the time.
0: I mean, so there's a reason that data governance who is, who is failing all the time. To.
1: I don't know who you're talking to. Go talk to, to every one of your
0: clients, Bob. This is the first, yo, know, this is not the first time they've tried data well, governance.
1: You've talked to my clients and no, they've told you that it's not successful.
0: Anybody who's hiring you to help them do data governance, most of them have tried in the past and failed.
1: Yeah, At this one point, of my clients just told me this is the fourth time that exactly, doing
0: it. and so so and and I, we're you know I know you and so we know we agree on most of this stuff, but we're pushing a logical debate here because I think there's something to this and that you know data governance we know fails a lot in general, right? We also know that it is difficult to see where the value manifests from the efforts you put into data governance. I think we agree on that too, right? We both said that Well,
1: but I would say that, yes, a lot of organizations have tried to do data governance and have failed. I don't know if I've ever talked to an organization, and this may sound like a sales pitch, and it's not intended as a sales pitch. Um, Organizations haven't tried non-invasive data governance multiple times and had it fail. Because, you know, one of these organizations that I talked to this week, you know, a prospective client said, They're now in charge of it. They're taking a fourth. This is the fourth time. It's the first time they've tried it in a non-invasive approach. And people in the organization, from executives down to middle-level management, down to the people of the organization, have said to them, and they told me this. I didn't want making this up. They said, this is a completely different angle that we're taking on implementing data governance. So, yes, data governance fails. It fails a lot. A lot of that has to do with the approach, the messaging, the thing, the ways that you're going about doing it. And, you know, I say, um, you, you know, it doesn't have to be invasive. It can be non-invasive. It's just an alternate way. If your data governance program has failed multiple times, Think about taking a different approach. What is it the Einstein uh, said? You know, the definition of uh, what was it of idiocy or something like that is trying the same thing over and again, over again the same way and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you take an approach that looks to formalize accountability rather than hit people over the head with a stick, um, I can't assure you that you're gonna that it's gonna work perfect in your organization. But you've got a much better chance of it, And like I said, I don't think I've ever talked to an organization and said, "Well, we tried non-invasive, and we stayed non-invasive and we kept ma- we communicated effectively with our leadership so they support sponsored and understand we did, but, but it failed. I just I'm sorry, but I have not run into that. It's not the goal, it's not the silver bullet. It takes a hell of a lot of work, but it, a lot of it has to do with the approach that you take right so well I, I i think i mean
0: there's definitely you know benefits uh clear benefits to the non-invasive approach and and i think that that's uh i think that's a fair statement i think that there would a be a lot to... of debate on on you know I think it'd be an interesting debate to get you and somebody who's a non, non, a non-invasive data. It's really easy to fall into double negatives. Yeah. No, yeah. Invasive data governance,
1: yeah, just stay invasive data governance. But see, right? I don't know
0: if, that, if that's the case. So, like, that's the question: is is how different this is from other data governance out it sounds there? Sounds like our next
1: podcast yeah. is that you need to get two of us and you'll do a point counterpoint. Like with uh, Bill Murray and Jane Curtin from Saturday Night Live, you could yeah, be in the middle yeah. and you can look at me over here and you can look at whoever over there. But yeah, yeah it would be an interesting conversation. Um, I'm not going to try to shoot down everything that they say because they've yeah. probably had some level of success in executing and enforcing authority over the management of data. You know, did, is the, did their approach work? Yes. I hope, I hope everybody's approach works. Um, but I'll, those of you that have issues in, in making it work or getting it to work should at least consider, you know, looking at seeing what what the heck does this guy mean by non-invasive data governance? Because there is really something to it.
0: Well, hey, and, and I'm all for every perspective you can get, right? Like to me, it's, it's all about, you know casting different perspectives on a situation to fully illuminate it and and maybe there's pieces of non-invasive uh data governance that will work and be a, a compelling way for you to approach things and maybe it won't take all of it maybe you'll take other pieces or whatever but I think knowledge and learning is a good exercise anyway and and so I think there's a lot and I mean I've certainly learned a lot from you and, and your approach so um you know this has been fun to just like like I mean this was exactly to plan we said that we' were gonna go into it I'm gonna just sit here and try to poke holes into non-invasive data governance to see where things go Before. i even
1: sent you a bunch of one-liners of things that i say that people call me on all the time and say how can that be true and um you know we don't need to work our way through those but yeah you know it's I, i'm all up for knowledge too i'm all, i'm a kik consulting knowledge is king and and focusing on transferring knowledge to my clients um one last thing i want to say at least about this subject is that it doesn't you know that okay I talked about the three different approaches to governance. there are some organizations that take a hybrid approach that certain parts of it are more invasive than other and some of the parts of it are more traditional than others and there's a non-invasive component to it as well so um, it's you know is it for everybody well, From my consulting business perspective, yes, it's for everybody. Yes, it is. It's for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the fact is that there may be aspects of it that need to be done a little bit more invasively, Mm -hmm. not non -non non-invasively, but invasively, uh, and to to be successful. So, you know, what I'm very passionate about this stuff, obviously, and I uh, I feel very strongly about it. And again, I'm not going to shoot down somebody else's method if it's working for them. But if it's not working for them, I'll suggest, you know, maybe there's something you can do differently. And just like that one prospect that I spoke to this week, fourth time, first time taking a non-invasive approach, had a conversation with them and they said, people are listening and they never listened before. Okay, so it's no longer the data, the good cop, bad cop thing, you know, where the data, the data police are coming to knock on your door. So people should look at it and see. I mean, it's really practical. It's probably, it it is the, as my subtitle on my book is, it's the path of least resistance and greatest success, at least from my experience. And, Mm. you know, that's why it's called non-invasive data governance, the path of least resistance. You know, that's why I call it that because, the organizations that are taking this approach are finding that, they're, that it just resonates well. So.
0: Well, and, and with any approach, you know, the, the key to this, too, is to recognize that nobody's going to give you all the answers. The, the, the solutions aren't in the book. The ways to approach your problems are in the book. And that's where approaches and frameworks help you. But don't ever think that you're going to ever find this magic list of things to do that you're going to be able to check off your brain and be like, "Okay, I'm going to do the rest now. And it's just check, check, check. It doesn't work that way. The fact is that everybody's circumstances is a challenge and and you have to navigate that.
1: And the other recent article on TDAN.com that I wrote is the data will not govern itself. Right. And there's no magic pixie dust to sprinkle over the data and, oh, now the data is good. Oh, now it's defined better. Now we've got data documentation and metadata. It doesn't work that way. It takes effort. It takes resolute effort is the term that I started to use. Uh, you, know, you need to emphasize it and focus on it in order to be successful.
0: All right, and so we're we're getting close to time, but there's I want to talk to you a little bit about Lego. So, and you know, my son is a big Lego fan. I know you've done some Lego. Now, the today we're recording this on July 31st, and tomorrow is an enormous day in my son's life and the world of Lego because the Lego Super Mario Brothers sets are being released, Ooh. including a. Um, they're also doing a Lego Nintendo Entertainment System, which comes with a little TV and an actual replication wow. of the old NES and, and all of that, and and that's going to be part of my son's uh, birthday present. I'm I'm going in half z's on it on it with him, but it's um we're we're so there's a but lot of Legos. It's not just your son;
1: it's you as well. Who yeah, it, well, that
0: one is the the Nintendo is the one that I grew up with, and so I I'm like, okay, are there like. You can have this one, but we're building this one together, and I'll and I'll give you some of the costs. It's a pretty big set, so um, just knowing that and knowing how excited he is, and he's, he's watching all the videos and researching it uh, way more than he should, and and like it's it's it really reminds me of, of myself in a lot of ways. You know, talk to me about what Lego means to you and 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 what. It is, uh, um you know, how it's a lot like data governance, how putting together Lego models is, is a lot like data governance for you. Okay,
1: okay, I'll tell you that, but it is a great diversion for, I love music, I listen, we've talked about my musical tastes and the things that I like, Um, but I like Legos because I like to build things, and I've been building Legos for many years, and I pulled out one of my favorite models, which is also... One of the earliest ones that I created see you get the whole 360 here view of it very cool there's a there's a part of Legos that they call techniques are the are the kinds of Legos there's cars and there's I don't want to pull it down and have it fall apart on me, but here's the most recent model so I like doing them. I have the mission uh, I have the um, the lunar lander here i have a vw bus with a surfboard on it the yellow submarine airplanes i i like lego so i do a lot of legos and i know that your son does and i know that you love it too yeah. uh, even the nasa series is really cool because they you've done the rocket i know the rocket mm-hmm. ship which is as tall as you are probably or at least as i did the lunar landing i know that there's other data people that also are very into like the lego nasa series um And and I've done the architecture series. I'm a lover of Frank Lloyd Wright. People may not know I was an architecture student to start in college before I got into computer science and then got into data management. So I've got Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water over here, and I've got the Guggenheim Museum, and I've got the – the Louvre as well, and uh, you know i've I've built a lot of different things in Legos, but how do Legos compare to data governance? Well, I wrote down a couple of things here. so you know with they, with uh, there so there are some differences. One of the differences is when you're building a Lego model, there is an end to it. So it is like a project and you get it done. But when you're building a data governance program, it's not a project. It's I had a CFO ask me, how many data stewards do we need and how long do we need them for? And knowing the guy pretty well, I kind of humored him. I said, well, how long do you want to have quality data for? And he just <laughs> winked at me and said, OK, I get it. It's it's not something that we do temporarily. Right. OK, so there are differences as well. But the truth is that, it, and you, you know this by building some of these models yourself, that there's an approach. You've got to have a good approach. Lego, I'm not selling Legos. I don't make any money from Legos, but their books go piece by piece, how you put things together. There is an approach and that you're not going to be successful with governance unless you take, a, a, unless you take an approach that like a non-invasive approach and you have a plan for how you go about doing it. With Legos, the more expensive Legos have more pieces, right? Many pieces, there's many pieces to data governance, there's many pieces, you know, and it's following some structure in order to achieve the end result, you know, the end result being the, the motorcycle, being the airplane, being the, the, the Frank Lloyd Wright building or whatever it is that you're doing. So, yeah, to me, it's a big diversion. I work with data all the time. I do take on projects all the time that are things like online classes and webinars and conference speaking and, you know, all those types of things. And so I'm thinking about data a lot in my publication, getting my publication out every other week. um, I need a diversion. And I need a diversion. And and I've got really, I mean, I don't want to pull my camera down and show you the Porsche and the Audi and the VW and the the dinosaurs. Oh, oh, the dinosaurs are so cool. (laughs) You know, my my wife and I walked into the Disney store in down in Orlando and they had this stuff from the New York um, museum of natural history or natural history. And, You know, we were just there several weeks before that and we had seen the dinosaurs and they had an exhibit of Lego dinosaurs that you could build that came from the that were the dinosaurs from the New York City, um, uh, from that museum within New York City. And I said, I need to order this. And so I ordered it there and had it shipped. And by the time we got home from Disney and Universal, it was waiting for me. So I've got dinosaurs, you know, and things like that as well. It's just a diversion. Okay, am I a big kid? Yeah, I'm a big kid. Yeah. But... I don't have any problem with that, but we need a diversion every once in a while. And and I um, you know, I do Legos a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, and in the throes of a pandemic, there's only so many activities you can have that, you know, aren't work in your office. So it's it's nice to uh be able to do something like that and with that we're way past time which you know i think we got to record more of these late on fridays just when we're like done with the week and have Don't no you? filter it's a lot of fun so um bob thanks as always for being on hopefully we'll have you on again very soon pretty soon we're just gonna end up doing this every week and so i think it's a. Uh... <sighs> almost inevitable at this point. But anyway, thank you so much. Um, appreciate your insights. This was a lot of fun. And, and I, yeah. I hope um, th- those of you out there uh, watching or listening this, um, you know, got something from it. I think there was a lot of interesting points that we made on both sides and hopefully helps expand your knowledge in, in what you can do. So Bob, with that, thank you so much. And thank you for thank watching you. or listening today. You'll find links and more information about today's topic in the show notes. Please remember to subscribe to our show on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Algman.com to learn more about Algman Data Leadership and the many ways we can help you become a data leader. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.